Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, we've made it to Thursday, and that means the start of a new football weekend. You've got football on television tonight, one game in the college realm tomorrow, a bunch of games on Saturday, a bunch of games on Sunday, Monday night. So the the, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday football bonanza begins once again tonight. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. You want to be part of the conversation? Best way to do it, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by C Spire plans get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Weird time of the year for major championship golf, but... In a strange year, that's exactly what we have. The U.S. Open, excuse me, the U.S. Open at Winged Foot out on Long Island in New York is going on, and uh, some surprisingly good scores in the uh, the opening round. Justin Thomas shoots a five under sixty five. He is in the uh, the clubhouse with the lead. Patrick Reed had a hole in one today and uh, shot four under. And uh, the guys that he was playing with didn't really even acknowledge it. You know, it was like Patrick Reed makes a hole in one, nobody celebrates with him. Kind of looked like they didn't realize it. You think that's what it was? Hey, see, yeah, everybody's making a big deal about that. But if you watch the longer clip, they do end up like smiling and, and high fiving and stuff. I think they didn't realize because there's no gallery, right? And yeah. it's an uphill hole, and it took a big hop, and then dunked. I, I have a feeling that it's because they didn't know it went in, and that's why there was a delay in the celebration. I know people Pretty love cool to hate to make Patrick a one Green. at the U.S. Open. Oh yeah. The golf course looks amazing, too. Yeah, it does. It really does. So JT at five under in the lead, then P. Reed one back. Rory uh, is at three under. He shot a 67 on the course. Uh, Thomas Peters, Rafa Cabrera-Bello, Joaquin Neiman, Bryson DeChambeau, Ricky Fowler, all at three under par. Uh, you get some two-unders in the clubhouse as well. But you're right, Borky. I mean, scoring has been decent. It's a little overcast, but the um, the course just looks... Amazing. Hey, Dad, what's up with you? Not much. Not watching any golf. Nothing else. Because there's not a television in the studio or because not your thing? First round of the U.S. Open. No, I'm not not interested. Call me on Sunday. Okay. You you can be pried away from uh, the NFL on Sunday to watch uh, the final round of the U.S. Open? Well, Saints play Monday, right? They do. There you go. go. They're opening up the Roomba. On Monday. Not, I know you're not a, a fan of this guy, but this is an interesting tweet from Pat Forty about some of uh, the news that uh, just seems to be breaking across Twitter. If it's true, the two most prominent football, college football coaches in the state of Mississippi are Mike Leach 
Lane Kiffin, a 30-year-old making $100,000 who was promoted to the head coach after he was fired after week one, and Deion Sanders. I love Mississippi. Yeah. What, a, what a great state for football. For yeah, uh, HBCU Sports is reporting that on Monday, Deion Sanders is going to be introduced as the next head football coach at Jackson State. Please let this be true. I mean, we're, we're, we're for it, right? Oh, 100%. He can have a I weekly have no segment idea. on the show. No idea what kind of, a, kind of a college football coach Deion Sanders would be or will be. But in terms of name ID, Deion's name ID is still fantastic, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. People know who Deion Sanders is. And that's the thing. You you hope it works on the field because the national attention that this program is going to get because he's the coach will be through the roof. All he has to do is get the best staff he can get. And as long as he's just up there pulling the strings and sitting in the living room and talking to mama about how I can get your kid to the NFL, everything will take care of itself. The assistant coaches will be what makes or breaks Deion Sanders. If this there, is there is a reason that I asked that question of, of the name ID is still there. I mean, he has not played football since 2005. Yeah, but he's, still, he's on the there. NFL Network. He's still he's still a big he's still a big name. He's got the I'm, best nickname in all of sports. I mean, tell me a nickname that is better than Primetime. He, oh, I thought you were going with Neon Dion. No, no, prime. Time, he's man. he's got he's an iconic player. He's one of those guys that every everybody every generation knows. Where was where was Dion better? In college at Florida State or in the NFL? In the NFL. Do you remember how good he was at Florida oh, State? Yeah. Though I do, but man, he was he was one of the few guys that you felt pretty good about putting out there on Jerry Rice and saying, okay. We should be all right, you know. Who? What other cornerback in the league could you say that about? Fifty-three career interceptions. Fifty-three. He had five as a rookie for Atlanta, three in his second year, then six. Best single season in terms of interceptions, nineteen ninety-three with Atlanta when he had seven. You guys he remember followed that? It up. Uh, yes. I'm, I mean, yes, I remember him playing with Atlanta. I don't know that I specifically remember those seven picks. He had one season with San Francisco where he had six, and Super then Bowl. spent five seasons with Dallas, 95, 96, 97, 98, and 99. So it then bounced around at the end with Washington and Baltimore for a couple of years. Did he win Super Bowl with Baltimore? Was he on that 2000 team? No, he was there 0405. Okay. He was with Washington in 2000. I guess he was What years did Dallas win the Super Bowl? I think he was on the cuz he was on that 49ers team that won, right? In 94. In 94, yes. So yeah, so he would have been and then they won the Cowboys won the next year. With Barry Switzer, right? So he won. Dallas won Super Bowls in 92, 93, and 95. So he he was only on the one Cowboys Super Bowl team. Actually, only played in nine games that year. Well, didn't he hold out for a trade or something like that? It it wasn't an injury thing, I don't think. No, I don't remember. 
spectacular player, two-sport guy. I mean, that's the thing. So Falcons, Niners, Cowboys, Redskins, Baltimores, two-time Super Bowl champion, eight-time Pro Bowler, six-time first-team All-Pro. He was on the NFL 100th anniversary team, won the Jim Thorpe Award while in college, two-time unanimous All-American in both 87 and 88. Florida State has retired his number two, and in Major League Baseball, made his debut for the New York Yankees in 1989, and the last Major League Baseball appearance he had came in 2001 with the Cincinnati Reds. Played with the Yankees in 89 and 90, the Braves from 91 to 94, Cincinnati 94 to 95, one year with the uh, Giants in 95, and then played in Cincinnati in 97 and 2001. Never and ever, like you said yesterday, big words. Will we ever see that again? A guy like he and Bo Jackson, a guy that plays... Major League Baseball and National Football League football. Does that ever happen again? It feels unlikely. I mean, Brian Jordan did it more more recently than Dion, didn't he? But yes, well, but, they kind of overlapped. Yeah, it just there's so much money now, and everything's so hyper focused. In, yeah, it just it seems unlikely. So Margie I mean, could have done it. I mean, like right now, you got John Rice Plumley and Jerry Ely at Ole Miss playing both, right? But I mean, how many guys even do it in college? And that's where, you know, you can't go from high school. you you got to be a college football player at some point. And, and so. interestingly enough, with those two guys that you mentioned at Ole Miss, you're talking about a running back and a, a quarterback, which yeah. is even crazier. I mean, you rewind, you had Anthony Alford, who was a defensive back at Ole Miss yeah. and was playing professional baseball, and then ultimately decided to walk away from football to focus full-time on baseball. LSU's had a few guys, but I, I, I want to say they had a third baseman at LSU a few years ago. I do not remember his name that was also a punter on the football team. Don't recall that. Didn't um, – am I crazy or did Josh Booty yep. play both? I don't recall. I mean, State has Brad Cumbus right now. so Yeah. But it's just not a lot of guys. And then you're talking about good enough to play both sports professionally. That's I mean, that's a tall order. You know, maybe, maybe the uh, – I don't know if best example – but an example in the state of Mississippi, if you want to go back a little farther, Brad Freeman, who was yeah. a star in baseball at Mississippi State and Didn't was a backup state. punter. His he was his last year. He was a backup punter on the football oh, yeah. team. And I have heard other players that were on the roster that played the same position that he did in high school, which was quarterback, say that uh, they were glad that he only came out to be a backup punter in his last year because he was the best quarterback on campus the entire time he was at Mississippi State. And then he goes and plays professional baseball at the minor league level for several years, hangs that up, and then goes and makes the practice squad of an NFL team. And now he's an NFL official. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just getting started with you. On this Thursday afternoon, we will be right back. So Larry helped me out. He said Booty retired from baseball and then came back to LSU where he played football. That's what I was trying to remember. Chad Jones was the player whose name I could not remember. I think he was a third baseman uh, and also played on the uh, on the football team. Um, Mike in Oxford points out a couple of guys, although... Again, what we were trying to figure out, and the, the question that Michael Borky was asking 
will you ever see a guy playing both at the same time again? Yeah, we were at the pro level. Yeah, at the yes, pro level. professionally, professionally, and we were close with Kyler Murray. I mean, there was yeah. some talk about whether or not he could do both. He well, looks about a guy. very smart in hindsight, by the way. People ripped him. Remember that? For I did. Yeah. For pulling out of the the baseball thing, and it, it was justified, right? I mean, this guy's tiny. He's not playing quarterback in the NFL. Now look at him. And what was it? He was the the fourth pick of the draft in baseball by yeah. the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. Ninth, and yeah. then ends up going number one overall. How much money did he turn down? That's like four or five million dollars, something like that. It was significant. It's a gamble Let, on less yourself. Than, less than he's going to make when uh, he gets his first big NFL contract. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Another name that, that popped into my head in terms of guys that have done both, but again, not at the same time, and, and they're actually a couple. You, you got multiple, a lot of examples of guys that play professional baseball coming out of high school and then it doesn't really work out for them long term and they go back to their roots and they play football. Chris Winkie is one of them. Mm-hmm. Gave up on baseball, came back to Florida State, won a Heisman Trophy, and then spent a significant amount of time in the NFL. Who was the Oklahoma State quarterback that did that? He was like 27 years old playing college football. Brandon Reason. Whedon, wasn't it? That's Brandon right. Whedon. Yep. Yeah. Whedon did that. Um, the Russell kid Wilson. at Michigan, the guy at Michigan, Drew... Drew Henson. Drew Henson. Yeah. Was with the Yankees for a while. Yeah. And then, I guess, went back to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Or was that the other way around? Did he do football no, in Michigan no, no. He, left he, and then ended up in baseball? He, he was playing pro baseball, got out of that, and then he was played for the Cowboys. Okay. He didn't go okay. back to college football. He, he left college to go play baseball. Gotcha. So, uh, Jacob in Columbus says, there is being a two-sport athlete, and then there is being awesome at both, like Bo Jackson. Yeah, very rare. Uh, Mike points out that uh, Archie was drafted four times. Archie Manning was drafted four times by Major League Baseball. Hogman says, seen a few play basketball, baseball, and football. Not uh, three. Times. I mean, that's been a while. Yeah, you can't do basketball anymore. There's just too much overlap. If they moved the season to January, I mean, I guess maybe you could. But right now, starting in October, it, you can't have that anymore. I've had a couple yeah, of people, including my buddy Bubba, point out Todd Helton, who yeah. was ahead of Peyton Manning on the depth chart at uh, at Tennessee in football, had an injury there. And then became an unbelievable baseball player. Obviously, at Arkansas, you had Matt Jones playing football and basketball. I've seen a few examples of that through the years. Uh, Anybody at Mississippi State remind you on that? Deronia Wilson did it for a season. Uh, Michael Goler played four years of basketball and then had some eligibility left, so played one year of football. Um, Kraken. Uh, Greg Hardy played both at Ole Miss, played football and basketball a little. You go back a little farther, late 90s, Seneca Taylor played both basketball and football at Ole Miss. Um, Tim and McGee says Danny Ainge played basketball and baseball. Yeah. So, 
And then Mike in Oxford points out, what about Charlie Ward? Wins a Heisman Trophy as a college football quarterback at Florida State and then goes on to have a pretty darn good career in the NBA. And never played a minute in the NFL. Never played a minute in the NFL. This is one that I was thinking about a second ago. Uh, Jeremy Parnell was a basketball player at Ole Miss and never... did he go out for football his last year, but didn't really play? I think it was when Houston Nutt was still coaching. Yeah. Parlays it into an NFL contract and has made a gazillion dollars in the NFL. It feels like our bubble has burst, gentlemen. Chris Vanini of The Athletic reporting that the Deion Sanders thing is not true. Well, that's well, then disappointing. Somebody's going to have to explain the leaked schedule for Monday's press conference that yes, has, which has Deion, Deion Sanders', Sanders face. face on it. So. Hmm. <laughs> well, we'll see how it all plays out. But nevertheless, I mean, you could say, well, that was a wasted 20 minutes. I don't think it's ever no, a it's wasted fine. 20 minutes nope. when we start going back down the road of the guys that... Oh, my gosh. Think about the things we've talked about the last five months and tell me that was a wasted two oh, segments. Absolutely good not. Good call. So I, I we've was... talked about sports. I'm not old enough to have been able to see Bo Jackson uh, just live or whenever. Seeing some of these old clips of his throws from the outfield where he looks like a robot. like it, It's not fluid. and it's, it's insane. But, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that he was a real person in the same way that I am. The athletic feat that it took for Bo Jackson to do what he did on both levels is still mind-blowing, and I, I'm... I'm disappointed I never got to watch it live, but we're talking throws from the warning track to third base on a rope, frozen rope, and it looks like he's not even trying. It's just like a little, not even a, a, a hop step, just kind of like step forward and you know casual throw, and it's just on the money. You don't see that in today's game even. It's that special. I saw Bo Jackson play in Kansas City. I was six or seven, had an RBI double in the bottom of the ninth inning for a walk-off win. I think that was his rookie. It was either his rookie year or his second year in Kansas City. And, oh, my goodness. There's nobody that has ever looked quite like Bo Jackson did in a baseball uniform. I mean, just chiseled out of granite. I mean, goodness. Um, somebody points out Sinquez Golson did both for a year at Ole Miss, had a walk-off against Florida, said it wasn't exactly a 400-foot bomb, but a walk-off nonetheless. It was like a softball slap hit into the dirt, but it worked. I think it was like a dribbler in the infield, yeah, that uh, he, he beat it out. Winning run comes home to score, and obviously had the uh, the big interception against uh, Alabama in 2014. Where he out-jumped O.J. Howard, right? Back of the end zone, toe tap. The you know the long review. Yeah, where the guy which, he jumped over had almost a foot of height on him. Yeah, yeah, pretty spectacular. Speaking of uh, Sinquez Golson, and the, it rem- reminded me of the Steelers. Um, Mike Hilton the other night, still playing big time minutes and making plays in the NFL. At five foot eight, a hundred nothing. And he makes plays in the NFL. Would would it be safe to say 
that he is one of the most, at least in real time, underappreciated, really, really, really good players that has ever played at Ole Miss. Like you didn't realize what he was bringing to the table until he wasn't there anymore. And it was all upstairs, too, because, I mean, obviously he's a good enough athlete. He plays in the NFL, but he's still undersized. He was undersized in the SEC. He was never, I mean, maybe there was one time where on film he wasn't in the right spot, but from our vantage point, he never made a mistake. He was always, always in the right position to make plays. And that was the difference. can, Can you think of that guy at Mississippi State in the last decade or so? That it's like until he's gone, maybe you don't full appreciate fully appreciate what you had with him. This this is gonna sound weird because he was a superstar and a first round pick, but Jeff Simmons. I don't think people realize because he didn't have a whole ton of stats how dominant he was. I mean, you look at Errol Thompson in twenty eighteen and you think, Man, that guy's one of the best linebackers in the country. Then you look at him last year like what happened? Well, what happened was Jeff Simmons wasn't there eating up two and three blockers mm. in the middle anymore. That's how Montez yeah. Sweat got all those single blocks to get all those sacks. Was <laughs> Jeff Simmons just did? He just ate people alive in the middle, and and so people. I mean, I, I say it all the time on, on the podcast, and I think I've said it here before. If you said who's the second greatest player in MSU football history, you can make a really really strong case for Jeff Simmons. Remarkable, considering who also has played that position at that school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the the list of defensive linemen, and I mean, this isn't breaking news, but just when, when, you, when you start thinking about it, the list of defensive linemen that have come out of Mississippi State in the last 10 to 15 years that, have, that, are, that are impacting or have impacted at the highest level in the NFL, whew. There's a lot of money being spent on defensive linemen who played football in Mississippi State. You know. I mean, even if it's just three names, even if you want to take Montez Sweat out of the mix and just go with Fletcher Cox and Jeff Simmons and Chris Jones, yeah, I don't know that there's a school in the last decade that has produced three more dominant NFL linemen yeah. than that. Sports Talk Mississippi. in the athletic today with an absolute money quote um, written by uh, Bruce uh, Feldman I can't share the quote verbatim because it is uh, the FCC would not appreciate it but an unnamed coach in the Pac-12 telling you this leading into the story we're going to get into says We've got our head so far up the bleeping bleeps of the Pac-12 of the Big Ten. How about we just do what's best for the Pac-12? May have paraphrased that a little bit, but you get what he's saying. It's like, why don't we think for ourselves instead of just mirroring what the Big Ten is doing? This story from CBS Sports. The Pac-12 announced on August 11th that it would consider returning to sports after the calendar flipped to 2021. However, a series of developments last week and then this Wednesday opened the door for the league to join the Big Ten and returning to the field earlier than expected. What were those events? 
Leaders in both California and Oregon have moved to ease the state health restrictions on Wednesday that would have otherwise prevented six of the league's 12 teams from practicing. That being Oregon and Oregon State, UCLA, Southern Cal, Stanford, and Cal. Half the league. Citing a source, ESPN's Heather Denich reported that the Pac-12 could return to play as early as late October. If county officials in the location of each program ease restrictions to allow teams to practice. Dennis Dodd is hearing from Pac-12 sources that early November is likely a more achievable start date for the league, but efforts will be made for late October considering the firm date of the final college football playoff rankings of December 20th. Ay, 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 ay. Nobody is willing to say, though, what's really happening here. We are. We are, right? What's happening is it doesn't feel good to be the only guy out there all by yourself. Hard questions to ask when you look all around the country and everybody else is playing football. Big Ten felt it. And they caved to the pressure. They cite a bunch of changes in medicine that are allowing them to come back. Just not true. Just not true. Now, is rapid testing more readily available now than it was five weeks ago? Yeah, probably so. But was it available five weeks ago? The answer is overwhelmingly yes. Well, but we know more about myocarditis. And the, no, no, you really don't. You just refuse to listen to the people that were telling you about it the first time. Same information is out there. Exact same information is out there. But when you looked around and you realized you weren't getting the TV money, $50 million a school in TV revenue in the Big Ten. $50 million per school. Biggest TV contract that's out there. We're going to get it by not playing. And certainly weren't going to get all of it by playing a partial season in the spring. It's almost like the people who said, we cannot do this because medically it's not safe. Maybe they were just selling a bill of goods to fit their agenda. No. Is it possible? No. Es possible? No, they don't do that. Don't forget, Richard, the Big Ten is filled with just... World-class academic institutions that would never... That that, that part is true. That would never, ever put players in harm's way. That part is not true. They don't care about profits. They care about safety. Money is not driving their decision. Because fine academic institutions in the Big Ten. I believe the doctors from Northwestern over the doctors from... Duke, which is a notably uh, very awful school. I, you know, just throwing that out there. I do love how uh, people look down on the SEC in the South as not having great schools. I mean, that's just false. There are there as many elite academic institutions in the SEC as the the Big Ten. No, but are there a handful, if not more, really, really, really good schools in the SEC? Absolutely. Of course there are. 
It, it, that's that's the kind of stuff that that's really funny is the the people turning up their nose at the SEC for arriving at the same conclusion as your beloved middle school at Northwestern did. And and look, I mean, the bottom line is you you can get whatever you want out of the educational experience. You, you, you just can. If you want to go to Mississippi State or Ole Miss and get into school with a 19 on the ACT and just kind of float through four or five or six years and have enough of a GPA to graduate, you can do it. You absolutely can do it. If you want to make school the most uh, the, the most serious thing you do, and take unbelievably difficult classes and get internships that help you moving forward and you want to go work on Wall Street or you want to become a Rhodes Scholar or you want to be an international business major and then go to the London School of Economics or you want to become a tax attorney that has all kinds of specialties, you can also do that. It, 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 you can get out of it whatever you want. You want to graduate and go work in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill? You can do that out of Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Southern Miss. I know a bunch of people that are doing that right now. You you absolutely can. But it's just whatever you make of it. It's completely whatever you make of it. Just just a thought there. Oh, no, but we're... A bit of a a sidebar. No, but it, it underscores the point. It's... It's disingenuous, it's ignorant, and it's the driving factor for the rhetoric that you saw about the SEC deciding to play in the Big Ten not. And that's why all these people look foolish today. Because, like I said, they arrived at the same conclusion. But the SEC did it because they're reckless and they don't care and we're a bunch of rednecks down here. And the Big Ten decided to play because they're pragmatic and and smart. It's just the spin is, is really funny and they all look stupid because of it while calling us stupid. It's funny how that worked out. Some programs need local health clearances. Two in the same county received it late yesterday. A Southern Cal Athletic Director Mike Bone and UCLA Athletic Director Martin Jarman spoke to Los Angeles County health officials and were encouraged that they would be able to practice when the Pac-12 scheduled to return to play. That's according to John Wilner who is probably the best reporter that is out there in terms of covering the entire Pac-12. He is at the San Jose Mercury News. Their efforts came after Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott released a statement earlier in the day saying that the league welcomes the statements from the California and Oregon governors clearing the way for contact practice. Obviously, the flaw in the statement from Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, was we never said they couldn't practice. Yeah, but you limited it to 12 players. You can't practice football with just 12 guys at a time, obviously. There's a really funny article from, uh, for you mentioned John Wilner, where he talked to somebody. I may have been the governor, but basically they said they can still practice, and they gave all these, these examples of basically ways to practice against air and have mental exercises. And I'm like, eh, I think Navy really kind of showed us works. that's not how it's going to work. Yeah, they mentioned that you could have works. digital practices where everybody's on yeah. a Zoom call. Mm. Somebody mutes yeah. ahead of time. You're offsides. 
This uh, this story at CBS says if the Pac-12 receives the necessary clearances to begin practice in time for a late October start to the football season, it could restore a sense of normalcy to the 2020 college football slate after it initially appeared that only three of the five power conferences would be playing this fall. If you're in the Big Ten, you owe... a jelly of the month club subscription at worst to every member of the SEC. Oh, Richard, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year round. Yeah, and they probably better be giving those gifts for a long time. Because the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 paved the way for the Big 10 to come back. Mm -hmm. There would have been zero pushback. I mean, the three of us would have pushed back. Locally, there would have been lots of pushback. But there would have been no national pushback if all five Power Five leagues, and as a result of that, all the group of five leagues, and everybody else that plays football, if everybody had shut it down because it's just not safe, no pushback. It's been what it was. Just what it is, 2020 just stinks. But when the ACC said, yeah, we're going to play, And the SEC said, we're not guaranteeing you today that we're going to play, but we are going to continue to move toward playing. And then the Big 12 said, yeah, we're not ready to shut it down either. The whole paradigm shifted. You still got people pushing back on those leagues, but those agendas are being shouted down now as well. Sports Talk Mississippi. Be right back. Thursday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Guests coming up later today on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Lee Sterling will join us from Paramount Sports at 20 minutes after 4, and then at 20 after 5, Antonio Morales, who covers USC primarily, but does some other stuff in Southern California uh, for the athletic, uh, spent uh, some time in Mississippi covering Ole Miss uh, with the Clarion Ledger at the time. Look forward to uh, that visit with Antonio to kind of get us up to date with what's happening in the Pac-12. Tell you what's happening in the Pac-12. We got this um, statement from the L.A. County Public Health Department just a little while ago that further uh, makes it easier for Pac-12 football to resume. Hold on, I'm trying to scroll back through Twitter and find it. I had it just a minute ago. Borky, you didn't see that, did you? Yeah, collegiate sports may only proceed in compliance with all of the California Department of Public Health-specific interim guidance for collegiate athletics. Wow, that is a mouthful. They also say, we have not placed other local restrictions or requirements, so that means as long as the institution is implementing its athletic program in compliance with all the guidelines within the state document, it is permitted in Los Angeles County. So basically, well, they're good to go. That hey, was Dad, old. you think the uh, the Pac-12 is going to start the same day the Big Ten does? No, I don't. No, I don't think. I think they'll be a little bit behind, but no, I don't think it'll be the same day. Okay, jokes aside, that would preclude them from being part of the college football playoff. <laughs> it's impossible to do that without the jokes, Richard. Come on. <laughs> they weren't going to be part of it anyway. You ready um, for this? They are going go to play a seven-game season without a conference championship. 
and be done by Selection Sunday. They'll start two weeks later, and they'll play a seven-game season to be done in time. That's my prediction. Seven games that can't get you in. It can't. No, but that's what they'll have to do. Especially against Pac-12 teams, you know. Seven and zero Oregon, nine and two Florida. I mean, it's Florida, and those two losses are significant by a significant margin to Georgia and Alabama. I, this is just a hypothetical. It's not well thought out. It just popped up in my head. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready to answer that yet. Speaking of, so you read the uh, anonymous quote from the Pac-12 coach that basically uh, said, let's make our own decisions and not be followers. What coach do you think that was? I I think Mario Cristobal. That could be. You know what? He strikes me as that kind of alpha type that would say something like that. It said we need to point the thumb and not the finger. I would have known exactly who it was. These guys all got upper body respiratory infections. I would have known. And that's future Alabama head coach Mario Cristobal, by the way. Ooh. It's not Dabo. It's Cristobal. There, there's I like, your I like it. hot I like take it. for the year 2024. Dabo. Dabo's not leaving Clemson. Nope. Why would Dabo leave? No. Not happening. They'll name the, the town after him when he's gone. Yeah, the... Clumbo. <laughs> I, I don't know in terms of the language, if this necessarily fits with David Shaw. But that's a statement that sounds to me like David Shaw would make. That's always my thought, yeah. Because David Shaw has been very straightforward about the fact that, look, we've made the right decision as a league. They laid out the medical information, and they said, this is what it is, and we we want to protect our guys. I mean, that's not Kevin Sumlin at Arizona. I mean, I, I don't think that comes from Arizona State. Herm Edwards would have been a lot more verbose than that. <laughs> it would have sounded differently from him. It would have. You would know if it was Herm Edwards. I can't even remember who the coach is at Colorado anymore. It was Melvin Tucker for like 15 minutes. Well, Mel Tucker, yeah, he was the coach last year. Yeah, now he's at Michigan yeah I know, State. and then went to Michigan State. See, I think it's Cristobal. I think Cristobal knows that he's got... A program that can compete for titles, but oh. his league is bringing him oh. down. It's Carl Durrell. Oh, God. I'd forgotten about that terrible hire. Colorado hired Carl Durrell? Yeah. Him getting him getting fired for not being good at UCLA was all they needed to see. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. One hour in the books with you, 20 minutes away from our chat with Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Also, you want to watch, you can do so at supertalktv.com. You can stream it on Roku, however it is most convenient for you. Give it a try sometime. You can see Brian Haydad's lovely, smiling face. Richard Cross, that guy, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, thanks for being with us. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line coming up in just a bit. You 
can join us on the C Spire text line anytime, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire is always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Well, right now, you don't have to. You can get $100 off the iPhone of your choice at your local C Spire store and online at cspire.com. Uh, do we go to the All-SEC stuff? We got the release earlier today from the Southeastern Conference. The preseason All-SEC first, second, and third teams and you have some representation from both the Bulldogs and the Rebels. Preseason, first-team All-SEC on the offensive side, Kyle Pitts from Florida, the tight end. Offensive linemen are Alex Leatherwood, Trey Smith, Darian Kennard from Kentucky, Landon Dickerson. So that's two Alabama guys, a Tennessee guy, and a Kentucky guy. And, oh, by the way, another Kentucky guy with Drake Jackson at center. Kyle Trask is the quarterback. The running backs are Najee Harris and Kylan Hill. Jalen Waddell from Alabama is the all-purpose player. First-team All-SEC defense. He was also the first-team wide receiver as well. Did I skip over that? You did. Uh, everybody, I mean, did. It's the two Sorry. Alabama guys. So Yeah, you know, yeah Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. Any qualms about that? Anybody you would put ahead of anybody on that list? Uh, I mean, me wrapping my mind around still Kyle Trask is first team all SEC is it's still a little bit difficult to do. You guys may think I'm way off on that. I think it's probably the right choice. I just having trouble getting there in terms of like, hold on a second. Yeah, hasn't played, hasn't started, gets thrust in when Felipe Franks gets hurt, and then he's just really solid the rest of the way. There's just a lot of unknown at the quarterback position, right? I think that's more so why he's there than anything else. It's the guy that's going to start at Alabama. Um, You've seen in very limited action, although he was good, it's just very limited. LSU's got a new starter. I mean, the most experienced guy is probably at Mississippi State, but you haven't seen it in the SEC yet, and he is coming off of, aside from Kellen Mond, but Mond has struggled with his experience. South Carolina's incumbent just lost his job today. The guy that everybody was going to give the Heisman Trophy to at Georgia seems like he's going to lose his job as well. So the candidate pool of all SEC quarterbacks is like two guys. Yeah. And Kellen Mond is the second team. We'll get to it in just a second. Hey, I called that. You did? Uh, the defensive lineman, Bobby Brown from A&M. LeBrian Ray from Alabama, Big Cat Bryant from Auburn, and Jordan Davis from Georgia. I, I, I think, unless you are a big-time, big-time read all the books, study all the magazines, probably the only name that you recognize, first-team defensive lineman, is Big Cat Bryant. Agree, disagree. I know who LeBron Ray is. Okay. But he doesn't have the same cachet in terms of name recognition no. as some of the previous Alabama defensive linemen. No, but he's a very good player. Yeah, I'm with you on that. 
The uh, linebackers, a little bit different story there. Dylan Moses at Alabama, K.J. Britt at Auburn, and Nick Bolton, who had roughly 7,000 tackles last year at Missouri. Give or take. Defensive backfield, Richard LeCount from Georgia, Jacoby Stevens from LSU, Derek Stingley from LSU, Patrick Sertain second from Alabama. That's a good group. LSU secondary is still going to be very, very good. More at 11. A little, little thinner than they have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about if you add Kerry Vincent to that mix, who has opted out. Have a Special feeling there's still a handful of blue chip guys that are just lacking in experience, waiting for their turn behind them. Not like the cupboards bear. You know that there are. Yeah, Brent Samaglia at Tennessee is the kicker. Max Duffy from Kentucky is the punter, and Jalen Waddle from Alabama is the return specialist. So if you're keeping count at home, that is three Kentucky players who are first team preseason All SEC. They're going to be good. They're going to and look. I think it's a bigger deal than if you had had three can let, let's say it was a punter and two specialists. I think the fact that you've got what, three first team preseason all SEC Kentucky players and two of them are linemen, I think that's actually more important. Yeah. Being a good up front, that's that's the start. So yeah, that that team's gonna be good. Yeah. Um, second team, and this is where they don't necessarily break ties. So you got a bunch, you got more guys. Jalen Weidermeyer at uh, tight end from Texas A&M. Offensive lineman, Sidarius Hutcherson from South Carolina. Deontay Brown from Bama. Landon Young at Kentucky. Another Kentucky. Yeah. If you're keeping track, that's three Kentucky offensive linemen on the first or second team All SEC squad. Austin Deculus at LSU, Bradarius Ham at Auburn, Wanya Morris at Tennessee, and Ed Ingram from LSU. Trey Hill from George is the center. Eight the offensive receivers. linemen. That's an interesting offensive strategy. Well, the the asterisk is where asterisk, sorry, is where they don't break ties. We did that uh, when we were coaching Powderpuff in high school. We learned that the girls didn't really like getting off blocks. So our halftime adjustment was we had a, our quarterback played division one softball. And she was a really good athlete. So it was literally 10 offensive linemen. We would snap it to Brooke, and she would just go run because the girls didn't <laughs> want to get off blocks. So it worked. We won. <laughs> you didn't have to worry if somebody was covered up on the line of scrimmage because everybody, all she was doing was running anyway. Yep, exactly. It was just snap it to Brooke and let her, she'll figure it out. It's fine. Second team wide receivers, George Pickens from Georgia, Terrace Marshall at LSU, Kellen Mond is the quarterback, the running backs are Rakeem Boyd from Arkansas, and Isaiah Spiller from A&M, Derek Stingley, the all-purpose player. In terms of defensive guys, there's a Mississippi State sighting, Errol Thompson from Mississippi State, second team linebacker, along with Henry Tuo'o, I'm sorry. To'o, to'o. Help. Did I get that right? I think it's 2020. Sure. I think, I okay. think it is that. Yeah. Anyway, from Tennessee, he's a linebacker. Uh, Nicobe Dean from Georgia, former Mississippi high school star. Special teams, Jerrion Ely 
is the return specialist on the preseason second team for the SEC, Cade York, the kicker, Jake Camarda at Georgia, the punter. Uh, third team, wide receiver, Elijah Moore in that group, along with Seth Williams from Auburn. Jerry Ely is a third team running back. Third team quarterback, Bo Nix at Auburn. Jerry Ely is actually named on this list three times. He is the second team return specialist, a third team running back, and a third team all purpose player. So, receive votes in a bunch of different categories. Would you have put Bo Nix on the third team? Again, there's a there's an issue. I with, might have put KJ Costello on the third team. I would have. At least you've you know seen it. Not where he have. is, but you've seen it. Mo Nix was fine last year. I mean, for a starting freshman quarterback in the SEC, they were okay. I kind of feel like Bo Nix may take a reasonable step forward this year. And that may contradict whatever prediction I made about Auburn and Bo Nix yesterday. So if it does, forgive me. It does a little, but they were bold, right? It wasn't what you actually think. It was you were stretching what you think to, to be bold. Nothing wrong with that. Kobe Jones from Mississippi State, third team defensive lineman. Mac Brown from Ole Miss, third team punter. And it sounds like they're actually going to let Mac Brown punt this year. Instead of doing the, I'm going to run seven steps to my left and then semi-rugby style it. It's almost like when you got a guy with a big leg who has punted the ball high into the air for his entire life with long driving spirals, letting him do that might be a good plan. We'll see. We'll see. So those are the highlights from your first, second, and third team preseason coaches all SEC squads. Lee Sterling. Paramount Sports will join us next. We'll talk some picks, some NFL, and some college when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Time for our weekly chat with Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Instead of squeezing this in at the end, Lee, let's start by telling people what happens when they go to Paramount Sports if they are wanting to get picks from you. Well, hopefully we stay on this roll. We won the first week, and we won last week with college football and the NFL starting. So uh, uh been a good run so far and seeing things pretty clearly. And uh, we rate our games from 10 to 50 units. Our first 40 to 50-unit play goes this weekend of the year. And over the last, we're pretty, pretty rare these games, four or five times a year, we're over 75% over the last dozen years on these games. So if they want to get that game and everything I've got the next two weeks, just 297, two weeks, 297 at ParamountSports.com. All right, ParamountSports.com. You can go there. You can uh, get the picks from Lee Sterling. Lee, anybody who has done this for any period of time, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're just a casual sports better or you're somebody who does it religiously, You've suffered a bad beat, and uh, Scott Van Pelt has certainly glorified the bad beats with uh, the segment that he does on SportsCenter every week. Uh, it just is so frustrating when you watch a game and you feel like the bad beat occurs because of idiot coaching moves. Right? Man, we well, saw a couple of those in the NFL on Monday well, night, I, I, but I also can think of three of them: Carolina, okay. 
both teams moving up and down the field, Raiders and Carolina. Uh, all they need to score on the last possession. They get to the 50-yard line, fourth and one, and, I mean, I- I'm shocked. They ran the fullback. A full yard, and they ran a fullback. If, well, why don't you give the ball to McCaffrey or do a run-pass option with Teddy Bridgewater? Just That was number one. Number two is the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas yep. Cowboys, fourth and four. Eight minutes to go on the 15-yard line, down by three. Kick the field goal. Worst that can happen is if they score a touchdown, you tie it. But if they don't score score a field goal, you got a chance to win. That was uh, dumb, dumb number two. So uh, same old Cowboys. And then on top of that, you got the Detroit Lions, and it might be time to, to save, wave goodbye to Matt Patricia. I mean, you're up 17 points and, and six, seven minutes to go in the game, and you're up three points in that game still after blowing the lead almost, and, and you try a 55-yard field goal. I mean, really? You, it's only going to put you up six. They should have punted the ball and then uh, played defense, and uh, there we go. Another Detroit way to lose the game. Yeah, Steven Guskowski didn't help things in the late game on Monday night for the no. uh, Titans against Denver either. So. No, no. So, uh, uh, Let's move NFL, on. You know what it stands for? Not for long. Very tough to win. That's right. Let's uh, let's look at some of the games that yep. are out there this week. UCF is a favorite against a Georgia Tech team who went into Tallahassee last week and got the win. UCF, seven-point favorite. What do you make of this one? So I think Jeff Sims is going to be really good for Georgia Tech. I mean, FSU had this kid committed, and Mike Norvell did not want him. I mean, makes no sense at all. He's better than anything they have right now. But that's kind of an indication of how bad Florida State is. They are an absolute mess right now. Here's the problem with Georgia Tech. I don't think they can trade points with Central Florida. UCF, I mean, the pace that they play with and that quarterback, Gabriel, he is something else here. More plays means more scoring. UCF 38, Georgia Tech 24. 38-24, 38-24, two-touchdown win for UCF over the Ramblin' Wreck. Louisville, two-and-a-half-point favorite at Miami. Miami was okay in the opener. De'Eric King yeah. didn't wow you necessarily with his arm, but scored a rushing touchdown, threw for one as well. Uh, Louisville, pretty impressive out of the gate. Yeah, and both teams, I thought, didn't show anything. I mean, I, I pretty much know both teams' playbooks, and uh, if you watched Rhett Lashley last year at SMU and, and you watched Louisville over the last couple of years, you know what they, they can do on offense. They just didn't show the playbook, and it was smart. They were playing UAB in Western Kentucky. They were able to win without it. Now, Miami had four real weaknesses last year, quarterback, they shored that up with De'Ara King from Houston. He's going to be a good one. Kicker, they lost three games from missed extra points and field goals from less than 30 yards. They got a grad transfer from FIU. Uh, that's now a strength. But they still have problems on the offensive line. I don't see any kids that could play it like an LSU or an Alabama or Georgia on the offensive line. And cornerback position, they got one cornerback. They only have five total cornerbacks on the roster because two uh, decided to go into the portal in the last couple weeks, and two of those kids are true freshmen. So uh, I think Louisville will expose them. Tutu Atwell is something special. I think he's almost unguardable. Louisville played their worst game last year and gave up 52 points in Miami. Cunningham, their quarterback, was hurt in that game here. I think Scott Satterfield's better coach than Miami's got in a barn burner. It may not be one of these exciting, you know, uh, game days because it's at Louisville and it's Louisville-Miami and it's not, you know, Alabama versus Georgia, but I think it's going to be a great game. Louisville 42-38 over Miami. Ooh, 
Yep. 42, that would be a lot of fun. And yep. uh, if you are curious about the total, that would uh, put you well over the total of 64.5 as well. Um, Louisiana, coming off the road win in Ames last week against Iowa State, where they were clearly the better, better football team. It would make you think that they will be clearly the better football team when they face Georgia State this week in Atlanta. 17 is the number on this game, and we get the news earlier this afternoon that the Raging Cajuns are going to be down nine guys because of either COVID or COVID tracing. Yeah, and and that could be a problem here. So, uh, you know, they were the better team. Uh, Maybe the Big Ten came back because uh, the Sun Belt has the highest-rated conference rating after uh, uh, Louisiana Lafayette got that win and also Arkansas State. Uh, uh, They played well. They hit on big plays, but maybe a little bit of a hangover here after their first road win over a ranked opponent, Georgia State. They did score 31 points per game last year, and they returned eight starters. I just don't know how good their quarterback is, Cornelius Brown. I've seen some tape on him. He looks uh, better than expected. And Georgia State, when they lost, Lost in 2018 when they were two and ten that year, uh, they lost 36-22. But they were only down two going into the fourth quarter. They were seven and six last year. This is a team on the uptick. I'm going to say Lafayette wins 34-23, but Georgia State covers. All right, so covers the uh, the big number. Let's look at a couple of NFL games. Fast forward all the way to Monday night. Yep. Saints, who um, maybe were better than you thought they were going to be last week, pretty yep. reasonably impressive. Yep. Uh, not sure about Mike Thomas this week. Saints on Monday night opening the new stadium in Las Vegas. So it looks like Thomas will not play in this game, and that's a big loss. So uh, takes away a lot of your, you know, your 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 receiving going down the field and third down threat, and and maybe you know we always talk about West Coast teams like the Raiders going to the East Coast. Maybe a nighttime start in a Pacific time zone city could be a hurdle here uh, for the Saints who. You know, this is a non-conference game. They're not familiar really with the Raiders. It's not a must-win game. And the Raiders' offensive line, which had a lot of problems last year, looked much better last week. They surrendered zero sacks to Carolina here. So I think it's going to be an exciting game. Uh, I think New Orleans wins the game 34-30, but I'll take the five-and-a-half here in the Las Vegas Raiders. All right, so uh, taking the points for Las yep. Vegas, but thinking New Orleans wins that ball game. Um, Dallas yep. against Atlanta. Dallas a favorite, four and a half again. Uh, I guess they were a three-point favorite last week against the Rams. What, what, what do we do with this one? They want to get this game, just call 800 400 Nine seven four one. I have a real strong opinion on this Cowboys and Falcons game. Must win game for both teams. You don't want to start zero and two. So you want to get this game? Just call eight hundred four hundred nine seven four one. And like I said, biggest game of the year we've had so far. We've won both weeks so far. You want to hop on board? My first forty to fifty unit play. ParamountSports.com. Ooh, a little yep. tease there. You can uh, yep. give a call and get the uh, the pick by calling Lee at Paramount Sports. Right, just one last thing before we go. Yeah. Sure. Is there is there a college football underdog this week? I know I know a second ago yeah. you um you took the points with uh, with Georgia State. Right. Is there an underdog that you're just in love with this week? I think Middle Tennessee State. I, I think I think Troy. You know, going on the road. I just don't trust their defense. I, I like Rick Stuckel as a, as an underdog as a coach. Uh, after going four and eight, it's a must-win season for him. Getting three and a half points against Troy, which can't play defense still, I'll, I'll take my shot uh, as a home underdog uh, with Middle Tennessee State. 
All right, there you yep. go. You've uh, you got it there. Middle Tennessee getting three and a half at home against Troy. That one is on Saturday afternoon on ESPN two. Uh, it's going to feel different when we talk next week, Lee. We will be talking about Southeastern Conference games, which I know everybody yeah. is ready for. Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks, Richard. Have a great weekend. You as well. That's Lee Sterling. Got a forty to fifty unit play coming up. Sounds like it's going to be that uh, that Dallas Atlanta game. Said he's got strong feelings on that one. Bunch of factors that go into those uh, big plays that Lee puts out a couple of times a year. So you can uh, call him. Check out ParamountSports.com for the number. Emmanuel Sanders didn't practice either, by the way, so it's not just Michael Thomas. That's WR1 and WR2 potentially out on Monday night. Just line Taysom Hill up on the outside. It'll be fine. He does everything else. You good with that, Hayden? 100%. Full-on wide receiver, Taysom Hill. Still wants to be a quarterback, though. He he had the, the, the sweet pass last week. Took a while to get there. I mean, it's not like Drew Brees' passes get there any faster, but you know what I mean. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, a three-tweet story from Ross Dellinger. This was about an hour ago. One hour ago, he tweeted, A Jackson State spokesman tells SI Now that the school has narrowed its list of head coaching candidates to three. Deion Sanders, the spokesman said, is not one of them. A hire is expected to be announced next week. JSU offensive coordinator T.C. Taylor remains a strong candidate per a source. 22 minutes later... Ross Dellinger, news. Multiple Jackson State sources tell SI now the school is finalizing a deal with Deion Sanders to make him their next head coach, despite the university refuting Ken Rashad at hbcusports.com. A hang-up getting smoothed out. Sanders is currently under contract with Under Armour. Jackson State is a Nike school. And then Ross followed that up with 2020, baby. Whatever happened to no comment? That's just, yeah, that's just poorly done there. It's, you just got to be smarter and I can say, you know what, we don't have any comment at this time. Yeah. We will that's make all you our... have to say, nobody's going to say anything to you if, you if you say that. Yeah. Do you have any comment about the report that says Deion Sanders is your head coach? We will make an announcement when the hire has been official. Yeah, yeah. There you That's go. it. Yeah, we're not. We 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 won't speculate on any uh, hirings until they're made official, or comment on anything. Yeah, That's it's, it's, it's just simple business. Instead, yeah, yeah. People like to talk though. Oh, they do. People people like to talk. Makes them feel important. Hmm. Matt Hinton points out that the fate of Deion Sanders' coaching career hinges on conflicting apparel deals is a perfect character arc. <laughs> and he just got, he started working with Barstool, too. What if yeah. he's, that what if he's still going to make his NFL picks from uh, Jackson? 
I would offer to sell my house, but I have a feeling he's looking for a, a little bit higher price point. How about Alvin Kamara? Quote of the day. When asked about the historical implications of playing in the first game in Las Vegas, Kamara says, I play in New Orleans, so I don't really care about that. (laughs) Hey, Dad says, don't you dare disparage my beloved Viva Las Vegas. I love Vegas, but, but that's a great quote. He's right. That's one of those quotes that people ask. One of those questions, you know, sometimes you have to ask a question. You know, like what happened today, speaking of New Orleans, with Kat Terrell, who who asked about injuries, and she got the old, we don't talk about injuries. She got the Mullen speech. From, but you have to ask that question. Michael Thomas yep. out, you got to ask. The idea that, how do you feel about playing the first game in line? Who cares? That's just dumb. The visiting players don't care that they're the first players to play anywhere. Especially a guy like Kamara. Like, I'm sure Drew Brees would have given you a very nice quote. You know, or Demario Davis did, yeah. is a very good quote himself. He probably would have said something more profound. But Alvin Kamara is a guy that wears diamonds in his teeth when he's playing the game. You think he's really going to care about the Roomba? I mean, come on. You're asking the wrong guy that question. Allegiant Air Stadium or Field or Stadium? Yeah, whatever. It looks awesome, but it also looks like a Roomba. Inside's great. And the By fact- the way, SoFi looked unbelievable the other night. Oh, yeah. I mean, that place was spectacular. If you're Southern Cal, do you regret your uh, Coliseum mini renovation instead of leasing that place? Probably wasn't offered uh, to him, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's something really cool about the Coliseum. And the renovation they did looks really good. And it's all yours. So... But your point is not a terrible one. And they're a little bit different than Vanderbilt, who I have spent years ripping for not going in on the soccer stadium thing with them. I think that's the dumbest thing. But, I mean, they just did a $150 million renovation to one of the most iconic sports venues in the continental United States. Right. It's very different. I still think Vanderbilt's insane, but I get why Southern Cal is staying put. Yeah. Uh... What is the lead-up to football season without a little uniform discussion? It's not football season at all. Hey, Dad, is State doing anything with their uniforms this year different? Not that I've seen. Not that okay. I've heard anything. I saw something from Ole Miss today, though. Yeah, folks are all abuzz about the, air quotes, powder blue jerseys. They're not powder blue. They're a darker shade of blue than that. I, I mean, it's just me. Those things are awesome. Yeah, awesome. Cool. I, I, even I'll give it up. They're you begrudgingly cool. just said that, didn't you? They're good. Yeah, they're good. They're, they, they, look, they look sharp. It's a good look. And I, I have a, a friend that is very passionate about traditional uniforms. And last night he sent me two messages. The first one, while I removed the expletives, was, we look like North Carolina. And my response to that is, do you think... Ole Miss is the only school that wears red. So it's okay that you're not the only school that wears that light blue color, number one. And number two, he sent me another message about Ole Miss has the best uniforms in sports, and we shouldn't alter them at all. And I mean, oh, that's that guy. That's a subjective measure. Ole Miss does have a very nice helmet uniform color scheme. It's very nice. It's good looking. <laughs> they should wear you it wear? more often than not. 
But do you wear the powder blue helmets with the powder blue jersey, or do you have some contrast with the dark? Oh, they're doing helmet? both. I was about to ask that. Or do you go Let's, white helmets? That's that that that's where I was headed. They're you doing go, the blue helmet with the blue jersey. Like that that is what they're doing. Well, you got some options I, now. Yeah, I'm just not sure what the options are in terms of helmets. As of for the last couple of years, Ole Miss has had two sets of helmets. The traditional navy blue helmets, and then either the Italy blue, the, the lighter blue helmets, or the white helmets. What? Your knowledge of colors is unparalleled. I'm just I mean, Italy blue is technically what they're called. And my wife on here to go toe-to-toe with you. Um, but they don't have three sets of helmets. So unless there's a third set of helmets, and maybe there is, I, I don't know, then I don't think the white ones are an option. Which is kind of a shame because that new jersey with white pants and a white helmet. You like the Chargers, like the old school Chargers. Yeah, which is one of my favorite uniforms in all of professional sports. Everybody loves the Charger baby blues. When when they do the when they do the white pants with the blue and gold on them, with the white lid, with the yellow lightning bolts and the the powder. Oh. That's a great uniform. But no, I mean, I I tend to think in all of the images that they have released have been the helmet and the jersey matching. Yeah, I mean, they're... uh, It appeared as if they are practicing, because they practice in their game helmets now, and and they were using the powder blue ones, but the the people that talk about tradition, uh, back to what I was saying earlier, uh, Georgia today released an alternate jersey. Georgia. Ohio State wears an alternate almost every year. Michigan's done it. Even Alabama's done it. Well, kind of. And the, it was I mean, Alabama's alternate but... jersey was the trim on the collar and the sleeves was houndstooth. Right. but That was about as alternate as it got at Alabama. If Georgia and Ohio State are not too good for an alternate jersey, you're not either. Ole Miss is a very nice helmet jersey color scheme. It looks very good. But it is not too good to have the occasional color change. It's okay. And the players and the recruits love it, which is the most important thing. But it's okay for a game to break tradition. Um, yeah. And, the, and those jerseys celebrate Georgia's last national title, which was won how many years ago, Michael Borg? Uh, let me check my math here. It's 2020, right? So 2020 minus 1980 is 40 years ago. I thought of you. Yeah, but there's a book out you can go buy about Kirby Smart bringing Georgia back to glory. So we kind of have made jokes through the years about Mississippi State and Texas A&M like they run their jerseys at the exact same time. These Georgia jerseys look like they kind of ripped off Ohio State with the kind of leather look on the, the outside sleeve stripe. They're fine. I think it's a good look. I'm kind of partial to Georgia and their silver britches, though. The uh, the red pants, I think, is probably what bothers people more about the Georgia kit than the white jerseys. It's good enough for Herschel. It's good enough for them. And it's one game. It'll. I, Georgia fans were mad in those replies. Yeah, it's one game. It, it'll be fine. 
And jerseys almost always look better when they're on the teams on the field than the images you see online. That's true. I loved it when Georgia wore the black jerseys. They just got beat like a drum in them that night. Because they're going to a funeral. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. you got to explain something to me. U.S. Open television coverage. Looking at the uh, leaderboard, tells me that uh, we got a bunch of guys still on the golf course. A bunch of guys still on the golf course. You know where I can watch it? Peacock. Knew this on was the coming. Peacock app. You need my login? Oh, it's free. You can download oh, is it. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. it's free, but then there are some stuff that's premium that you have to pay for, such as the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. So I, what are, I have that if you need it, is what I'm trying to tell you. The United States Open Championship Golf Channel from 7.30 until like 1, and then two or three hours on NBC, and then they just cut away. Want to continue to watch? Download the Peacock app. And the timing of it, Richard, is terrible when you consider most people are just now getting off work and getting home. And so... Instead of doing this in the morning and rolling out your app that way, and the diehards that have the opportunity to watch golf during their work day can put it on the app and do it that way. But now you've got millions of people that are just getting home from work and want to kick their feet up and put the golf on. And they won't know where to find it. The strategy the pro- of it is stupid. The problem with Peacock is it's, it doesn't work right now on like Apple TV or Roku or stuff like that. You almost have to watch it on your laptop, which is what I did Monday with the uh, the Chelsea game. So Golf Channel had live coverage from 6.30 until 1 Central, and then NBC was on from 1 until 4, and then you want to watch DJ play the back nine? Get the Peacock app. Come on. It's 2020. We're not talking about the John Deere Classic. No disrespect intended. But guess what? If the John Deere Classic was on, I could watch it on Golf Channel. What's the point? Golf of Channel's a owned golf by channel. NBC. <laughs> they could throw the coverage back to Golf Channel. Or golf or whatever it's called now. I think they dropped the channel part. Yeah, but you gotta promote your new app. I guess. Parks and Rec isn't doing it for them. Hmm. <laughs> Anyway, just a bit of a bummer. Just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. In the uh, 5 o'clock hour today, we're going to have a conversation with Antonio Morales. That's about 25 minutes from right now. And I'm hopeful that Antonio can kind of bring us up to speed with all that's going on on the West Coast in terms of the, the Pac-12. Are they going to really return and play football? Are they going to do it on October 24th? When the Big Ten returns, are they going to push it to the uh, the following weekend? Start on Halloween? They're going to push it into November? What's really changed? The perception of, of America? 
the perception that of COVID, everything. It, it's, it hasn't. Nothing's actually changed. Reality hasn't changed, but perception has changed. And as I always say, perception is reality. So, and you can't shut down things for months and have people just accept it. And that's. I mean, and then you see the story out of Nashville last night. Did you guys see that? Um. Yes. What What were the details? Uh, basically, Nashville uh, shut down bars and restaurants and gyms and stuff like that. And they kept them shut down even though there was no evidence to suggest that they were increasing spread. But that was their message. Why we have to keep them down? Because these places are, are increased spread zones. But their numbers showed that their bars, when they were open and restaurants and stuff, did the exact opposite. And they lied to the people and kept bars and restaurants closed, even though behind the scenes, in these emails that leaked, they admitted that contact tracing showed that they did not increase the spread at all. So what's happening? Uh, hopefully a bunch of lawsuits. Hmm. I mean, this is the same mayor that it proposed a 34% tax increase. So he's probably not very popular there right now anyway. And this might just put the city over the edge. But it, it's stories like that that keep coming out where, wait, what did we shut down for? Why are we still shut down months later? And perception, as you guys said, have changed on a lot of things, but especially when it comes to sports. Why can everybody else play everything except for us? And people are starting to put their hands up and say, this doesn't make sense. It's changing things. Got a question on the C Spire text line. Has Andy Ogletree played yet? Uh, on the course, if he's finished up, he has just finished. And he is one over through 17, currently tied for 32nd. Last year's U.S. Amateur Champion did not fare as well in the U.S. Amateur this year, but uh, playing pretty well in his opening round at uh, Wingfoot. College football fix when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Five o'clock hour on this Thursday afternoon. You got NFL football tonight. The Battle of Ohio, Cleveland hosting Cincinnati. A couple of 0-1 teams. NFL Network kicks off at 7.20 tonight. Also, Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Miami Heat up one game to none on the Boston Celtics. So, uh, decent stuff to watch on the old television this evening. Yeah. Sneaky big game for Baker Mayfield, too. Um, I read something earlier today. I, I found it fascinating about uh, why he's so inconsistent. Looks very different than he did in college. Uh, Baker Mayfield is not exactly or shouldn't be known for his great arm strength. It's not bad, but it's not upper tier like some people try to claim it is. And uh, what these film analysts found is that Baker Mayfield tries to compensate for his lacking arm strength by really just trying to put every single thing he's gotten to a lot of his throws. He, he, he doesn't approach it the way Drew Brees does and why Brees is so successful is just timing and accuracy and stuff like that. 
doesn't try to do too much. Baker Mayfield's problem they found in the NFL is that he puts everything he possibly can into every throw, which is leading to his inaccuracy. And they showed examples of him doing that, and sure enough, it looks like he's that guy that you see at the driving range that is trying to swing as hard as he possibly can. And you see that guy. It's completely out of control and just too much. It's like a Bryson DeChambeau practice swing. Right. And if he would just slow it down he would be more accurate. So that's something to watch tonight. I I didn't notice that, really, because I guess I don't know what I'm looking at, but apparently Baker Mayfield, uh, at times, it's not always, but at times, really tries to put too much on his throws, and that's why he's got accuracy issues in the NFL that he did not have in college. Because in college, he was more relaxed and comfortable with his arm strength. In the NFL, they say he's just trying too hard and needs to just get back to mechanics and work on timing instead of work on speed. That's interesting. 720 kickoff. Uh, let's see. Favorite in that game? Cleveland, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, has a 62.4% chance to win the game. They are a six-point favorite against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Fans in the stands tonight? 6,000 of them. They even zip-tied the seats. So there are 6,000 seats that are not zip-tied. So you physically cannot, unless you have a knife, you cannot sit in the seats that you're not allowed to sit in. That's how they've decided to socially distance there in Cleveland. Hmm. But we'll certainly check it out. Just probably won't watch the first 10 minutes. It's just me, though. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. It is truck month, which means good savings and your opportunity to get behind the wheel of an F-150, a Ranger, or Ford Super Duty. You can do that at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So, Barrett Sally at CBS Sports has put out something that he does just about every year, the hype meter, the SEC hype meter. Going back eight years, they have taken the predicted order of finish by the SEC media and then grouped it with where teams actually finished. And so if you are predicted to finish fifth, but you actually finish third, then you get plus two. And then they spread that out over the last eight seasons. So cumulatively, the most overhyped team in the SEC over the last eight years is South Carolina. Would not have guessed that. They say about South Carolina, probably doesn't seem like the Gamecocks should be here. Hey, Dad. Alas, here they are. They were picked to finish fourth last year, wound up with a 4-8 record, and went sixth in the East. Strangest season in which they finished two spots behind the media's prediction. Of course, that doesn't explain the massive number. The big hit for the Gamecocks came in 2014 when they finished fifth after being picked to win the East, and in 2015 when they finished last after being picked to finish fourth. 
So aside from those three kind of anomaly years, they're more of a, yeah, about where they're predicted. Auburn is the second most overhyped team. What do you know? They finished third last season after being picked fourth, which brought their eight-year total back to minus five. Tennessee also at minus five in terms of where they have been picked over the course of the last eight years in relation to where they actually finished. Georgia as well, minus four. The Bulldogs have been accurately picked in all four of Kirby Smart's season, seasons at the helm. The only time since expansion in 2012 in which they weren't pegged were 2013 and 2015 when they finished two spots behind the media prediction. So really not too bad in terms of Georgia. If we had started this, you just asked ahead of time, I would have said Tennessee was probably my pick. So I'm, I'm not too far off, but probably helped last yeah. year, like you said, you know, get finishing third after being picked fifth. In terms of teams that are ranked in about the right spot, preseason in terms of prediction in comparison to where they actually finish. Arkansas at minus three. LSU at minus two, and they improved their position by one spot during their national championship year, but the Tigers are still slightly overrated since expansion in 2012. Most of that can be attributed to the two uh, the last two and a half years of the Les Miles era between 14 and 16 when they underwhelmed Turns out Ed Ogeron was the right man to replace him, so it appears. They did win a national championship with Ed Ogeron at the helm last year. Alabama minus two. They've been picked to win the SEC West each of the last seven seasons. They finished second in 2017 and second in 2019. On to the plus side of things finishing slightly better than where they are predicted year in and year out. Florida at plus one. The wild ride came during the Jim McElwain years. They surprised everybody by winning the East in 2015 after being picked fifth. Did it again the next season after being predicted to finish second and then fell off a cliff, finishing fifth after being picked to finish second in 2016. Ole Miss is at plus one. And, again, this is going back to the expansion of the SEC when you added Missouri and Texas A&M, so 2012. Barrett writes, the media did not hit on Ole Miss in any of former coach Hugh Freeze's five seasons or the next year when Matt Luke served as interim head coach. The next two seasons brought some stability. There was a problem, though. Both of those seasons resulted in accurately predicted sixth-place finishes Maybe new coach Lane Kiffin can turn things around. I'm surprised that that's not a, a touch lower, I guess. I would have thought in like 16, Ole Miss would have been predicted second or third in the West, and they would have finished what? Second to last? Yeah, but after I guess they 12, 13, 14, and 15, yeah, they, they, they probably yeah, came back right. down a little bit. Balanced out, yeah. Texas A&M at plus two. He says there's this notion out there that Texas A&M is always overrated. That's really not true. Jimbo Fisher's crew finished one spot behind its prediction last year, two spots ahead of it during Fisher's first season. The Aggies either met or exceeded their media predictions for each of the four seasons prior to Fisher's arrival. So, no, Texas A&M isn't necessarily a preseason darling. And they then you get the, un- the AP polls. Not, not in this, but they are in the, uh, the yeah. national polls. Well, and the problem is, 
when were you going to pick A&M ahead of Alabama and LSU and Auburn? I mean, they're basically going to be picked to finish fourth most years. Yeah. Missouri at plus three falls into the the underhyped category. Vanderbilt at plus four is in that category. They say, I know it seems impossible for Vanderbilt to be underrated, yet here we are. Why? Because nothing is ever expected of the Commodores. Their only two underwhelming years came in 14 and 16 when they finished last in the East instead of sixth. The fourth place finish in 2015 earned them three points, which was their best season relative to the prediction since conference expansion. And then the most underhyped teams in the SEC... Kentucky at plus nine and Mississippi State at plus nine. Never forget the only the time since expansion that Mississippi State has underwhelmed was in 2018 when they finished fourth in the West. The rest of the seasons have either met or exceeded expectations. Biggest games came in 2014 when they finished second in the West and went to the Orange Bowl. That Dan Mullen guy is a pretty good coach after all, writes Barrett Salee. He also had Kentucky, their second place finish in 2018. Got them three points. He says, simply put, never sleep on the Wildcats. Farm Bureau phone line coming up next. Antonio Morales will join us. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Antonio Morales joins us right now. You can follow him on Twitter at Antonio C. Morales. He covers Southern Cal football for The Athletic and has uh, had to branch out a little bit. Really cool story last week about uh, Joe Davis, who is the television play-by-play broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers, but uh, last week did a football game in the morning on television and then turned around and did a uh, Dodgers game later in the day. Uh, busy schedule. Antonio, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Hope you're well. What's up, my man? Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Everything's everything's well, but kind of uh, hectic and, and busy out here these past couple of days. Yeah, n- no doubt. So let's get into that right now. It appears as if things are maybe trending in the direction of the Pac-12 giving it a go. Just kind of give us the, the most recent that you've been able to gather. Do you believe they're going to play, and how soon? I think they're going to try to play. I think we'll find out more tomorrow when the presidents meet. This was a, a previously scheduled meeting between all the, the Pac-12 CEO group, basically, and uh, I, I think football will obviously be a topic of discussion, and returning returning to action will be a topic of discussion tomorrow. I don't, I don't know if that was previously planned, but it seems like the way things are going, uh, it will be. Uh, it's It's been kind of weird because the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, obviously, they were pretty much in lockstep with when they canceled or when they postponed their fall football season and ever since then, you kind of heard all this noise, all this uproar, and all this frustration from the Big Ten. And the, the Pac-12 hadn't been making a lot of noise until until Tuesday when a group of USC players decided they wanted to do something, and and they approached Clay Helton, and there was a they, they took their idea to the team, and then there was a team vote, and it ended up being a letter addressed to California Governor Gavin Newsom, you know, pleading with him basically to 
to let them play because there had been some tight restrictions on practice and stuff uh, in California for these Pac-12 schools. Uh, it looks like those those restrictions have been lifted in terms of how many people can be out at a, at a, at a workout and stuff like that. So it looks like things are trending in that direction for the Pac-12, but we'll see uh, more as, as uh, the next couple of days kind of progress. The, the response from Gavin Newsom to that letter from from Southern Cal was fascinating to me. He's like, he he said, well, we're, we're not really restricting their ability to practice and, and play games in the Pac-12, and yet there was a restriction that allowed, at least as I understand it, a maximum of, of 12 players to be working out together. Is, is there a lack of understanding from the governor in California of how football actually works? <laughs> I, I think there is. It's uh... <clears throat> It's uh, and I know some, some of the people that took it at face value were like, "How could the Pac-12 like not know this all along? They could have been practicing all along." But I don't think that's really the case here. I think it's you know the Pac-12 or California basically stated in their guidelines for college sports to kind of practice. They said they can work out in, co- in cohorts, basically groups of six to twelve people, and obviously everybody knows. You know, you need uh, 22 people on the field at a time if you want to go 11 on 11. Uh, so o- only going with 12 people was never really going to work, and it wasn't going to be safe if these guys wanted to uh, return to football right now. USC, over the past couple of months, has been uh, has been basically working out, lifting weights on the football field, on their practice field, um, in groups of 12, and it, it's staggered in terms of, you know, each guy, each group comes in at a different time. The, the whole team never sees each other. Um, so that's how they've been able to practice, and that's not how, hmm. um, you know, it was really going to work if they wanted to return to play. Um, What is the appetite? I mean, we, we got the, uh, the, the letter from the Southern Cal players that you referenced a second ago. What is the appetite for this? among fans, among coaches, and, and I kind of ask that with the backdrop of that anonymous quote that was floating around today in, in I guess, an athletic story where there was a coach that uh, expletives removed basically said we need to stop having our nose stuck up the rear end of the Big Ten and do what's best for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12 have been basically arm-in-arm in this thing. You know, they're, they're a school, there are conferences that, are kind of bound by the Rose Bowl and the tradition of that game, and they both kind of view themselves in, in high academic regard. So they kind of operate on the same, or they they try to operate on the same uh, playing field. And uh, I think there's there's appetite amongst you know the bigger fan bases out here. So USC, Oregon, Washington, um, things like that. I, I don't, it's not as rabid as you see in in the Big Ten, or if the SEC was ever in this scenario. It's not as rabid as you would see um, in that regard. Um, I think, you know, the the Big Ten, you know, you saw those coaches really fight for it. You know, I think, I think the coaches in the Pac-12 want to come back, but you just haven't seen the public displays, um, as many public dispa- displays as you saw in the Big Ten. So I, I think there's some appetite for it. I just don't know if it's if it's conference-wide, um, like it might be in, in the other conferences. I, I'm going to get you in trouble here. Would you care to hazard a guess as to which coach said that? <laughs> no. no, no. Uh, uh, it's, it's, I can see how they've been 
you know, why they might be frustrated. And knowing Bruce's story, which you referenced earlier, like UCLA hasn't been able to go in their offices uh, the past couple of weeks. And like LSU has been working out of their offices since like May or June. I think so just very different out here. Uh, I yeah. know the USC coaches, the restrictions they have to face, you know, just to get into the football building have been kind of really strict. Um, so, you know, it, it's just a different kind of world out here. Like, like some people have talked about. You know, one of the things that, that has been fascinating to me is how lockstep the PAC 12 has been with the conference office, which is such a contrast to, to the big 10. I don't know that we've ever seen infighting, uh, among the Big Ten, certainly not when Jim Delaney was in charge. Larry Scott is generally um, not regarded highly uh, nationally, but he's gotten a lot of praise for the way that they have handled things through this pandemic. But, but I think about quotes that I've read from from David Shaw, where he says, "Look, we're doing the right thing. We are absolutely doing the right thing." Um, you know, same thing with Justin Wilcox at Cal, uh, other coaches. It, you haven't had those coaches speaking out saying this is a terrible idea, regardless of how they feel about it maybe privately, is that about to change? I, I, that's what I'm wondering because it's going to be such a quick shift if they do come back. If they come back and play on October 31st or November 7th, it's going to be, it's going to be such a quick shift to go from saying one thing to the next. The, the daily testing was, was a big deal for them, uh, getting the rapid response and securing that deal with uh, uh, Quidel. That was a, a big deal for the conference, and I think – I think that kind of sparked the Big Ten to try to get the same thing and and get their get their return to action in motion, and uh, you know so I think that changed a lot because I remember when the Pac-12 postponed their season, you know, they didn't think they were going to get daily testing until late November, or early December. Uh, so the fact they're getting it the end of this month and early October is is a big deal, um, but I don't know if. Some some of the numbers in California, the, the case numbers and stuff, have decreased um, a bit. But I don't know how much it's really changed, other than the daily testing. Um, I know that was a big hurdle, and so was approval from the state and, and local uh, health officials. Um, so now that those two hurdles are cleared, um, they'll probably change their tune. But but it'll be interesting to see how they kind of how they kind of paint this picture of how everything changed. Antonio, if the first game was on November seventh. And they played straight through December 19th with no conference championship game. That would be only seven games. And they've got to be done before December 20th to have a chance to be included. Would a, for an example, would a 7 0 Oregon team deserve consideration if you look up and the SEC played 10, the ACC played 11, and the Big 10 played eight or nine? I guess nine would be the number. Would they deserve consideration? If there's no conference championship game, I have a hard time saying they would. Um, say like Oregon didn't play like a six and one USC team or something, or uh, you know whoever would be the top team in the South. I would have a hard time saying they saying they deserved a playoff spot over one of those schools that played a more you know well-rounded full schedule. Um, I, I didn't think if there was a regular year, I didn't think um, any Pac-12 team was going to make the playoff anyway. I think <laughs> Oregon would have lost to Ohio State or. Or and somebody else. I don't think USC would have made it, and they were going to be the top team in the South. Um, so, so I, I would have a hard time kind of saying, um, you know, they would be deserving of a spot. 
Interesting stuff. We'll certainly keep an eye on it. It feels like maybe it's trending in the direction of all five Power Five leagues play. Antonio, appreciate your time and your perspective today. Good visiting with you, my friend. No problem. Thanks, guys. Take care. That's Antonio Morales. You can follow him on Twitter at Antonio C. Morales. Good writer. Really does uh, nice work at the, uh, the Athletic. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Antonio joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Favorites.com. Go with the home team. Mississippi Farm Bureau. I mentioned John Wilner earlier. He uh, is at Wilner Hotline on Twitter, covers the uh, Pac-12 for the San Jose Mercury News. These are tweets from an hour ago. Pac-12 targeting October 31, so Halloween, as their restart date, pending approval of the CEOs and lifting of local restrictions in the Bay Area. So Los Angeles County is on board where USC and UCLA are, but the Bay Area could be a different story where you've got Stanford and Cal. Went on to say that uh, a source says the lifting of state-level California restrictions on cohorts requires passage through multiple entities. The bureaucracy, uh, bureaucracy is exactly what you would imagine and is expected soon but is not finalized. And he points out that a championship game would be played at a home host site this year. So if they start on October 31st, they would have one game in the month of October, obviously. They would have four in November, so that gets you to five. And then they could play... I don't see how they could do a championship game unless they're only going to play a seven-game regular season. And And part of the... Part of the fallacy in this plan by both the Big Ten and the Pac-12 is that there's no wiggle room to reschedule games that are canceled or have to be postponed. Virginia, Virginia Tech was supposed to be played this Saturday. Because of COVID, it had to be pushed back. It's already been rescheduled for December 12th. They're taking advantage of... The window's in the schedule. The SEC has an open date for everybody in their schedule. And then December 12th is open as well, before a December 19th SEC championship game. The likelihood of getting in really close to a full schedule is far higher when you get a couple of breaks. But because of the decisions that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten made, not to postpone, but to shut it down, and then try and scramble and bring it back to life has given them zero wiggle room. You nailed it. You nailed it. I mean, this is why the SEC's plan was smart and the Big Ten's plan was dumb. It was just dumb. They had, and, didn't and, have, we, we said it a million times. They did not have to cancel the season the day they did. They could have just said, we're going to continue to monitor, to evaluate. Nobody would have said anything, but instead they pulled the plug, and now here we are. And hey, that even if they didn't want to start on the 26th, if they were going to just attempt an eight-game schedule, they could have started at October 10th, had an open date, some, some room, yeah, had an open date for every team, and 
wiggle room at the back end to play a makeup game. But but in the collective wisdom of all the people who were making decisions in the Big Ten, it made more sense to say we're postponing to the spring, which was never going to be a viable option. It's why it's so hard to understand and really be like, you know what, Big Ten, great job. Ultimately, you're playing a schedule. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess great job that you're ultimately playing games. But the decision-making was so bad on the front end when it didn't have to be that they painted themselves into a corner in, in both terms of restrictions and just the calendar. Virginia and Virginia Tech got rescheduled today. Why? Because they can. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They're supposed to play on Saturday, and they moved it, it to December 12th. Was it Houston and Baylor put a game together this week? Yep. I mean, yes. Because they had the room and they had the time. Speaking smart. of. So Houston and Memphis were originally supposed to play on Friday night of this week. Yeah. You remember that one got canceled. Houston rescheduled with Baylor. That was going to be an ESPN standalone window on Friday night. Because that's not being played on Friday night, you know what we get on Friday night on ESPN? Not ESPN2, not ESPNU, not ESPN Plus on on big ESPN. We get Campbell and Coastal Carolina. Let's do it. I'll watch. Go Camels, baby. The Camels. The Campbell fighting Camels. And Coastal coming off a huge win against the Big 12 team. The Camels versus the Chanticleers in the greatest mascot matchup of all time. Yeah. P- pretty pretty good stuff in terms of the mascots. I'm fine with that. I, I still think it's crazy. I mean, the, as you guys have said, it's just it bears repeating because the spin, as we've talked about a lot, I just I think the point needs to be hammered home. The spin today is that the Big Ten did the right thing. And even, if you call it a protocol, I don't know, is not rooted in any kind of actual science that anybody else is using besides them. And the uh, positive test is 21 days out. There's not one other place that's suggesting that. It's just, The entire thing is just bizarre. It's a CYA move. That's all it is. And... I mean, the possibility of them completing all eight games, I think, is really, really small. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we're cheering for it. We hope they oh, yeah. complete all eight games because there are going to be some good matchups in there, some fun matchups in there. And another thing is that there... bears repeating, the inability to test out of quarantine does not make any sense at all. doesn't make any sense. You had, um, it, what is it, nine players from Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, that... They didn't all test positive, but because of contact tracing and stuff, they have to sit out this game. Missouri's got a similar problem. We talked about it yesterday. They're not all positive, but all these guys have to sit because of contact tracing. Well, by this time next week, they should be able to test out of that quarantine. Missing one game, I get it, because it takes a while for symptoms and stuff to show, and it it takes a few days. That's, That's fine. But to hold them out two weeks... Even if they test negative days after contact, still is just so stupid. It's fighting against yourself. 
So, so here's my question. Because we all know that college football, you know, the home of the backroom deal, of the thing that happens behind everyone's back. Any chance that the college football playoff in the next couple of days, if the Pac-12 gets going, comes out and says, we can push back? <laughs> you know, now, granted, they'll have to tell the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Uh, you might just, you know, well, I don't. Which what are the playoff bowls this year? Do you know? I'm supposed to, but I okay can't well, can't say with a great deal of confidence right now. I, I don't know if those are. I'm, I'm trying to. I don't even remember what they were last year. LSU was the I, Sugar Bowl, and that was a national championship game, wasn't it? Yeah, they, no, they played the Sugar Bowl and then they played the national championship game. Okay, the Peach in, and the Fiesta were the the playoff bowls last year. Yes, that is correct. Okay. I think so, I think it's Sugar and Rose this year. Well, you may just have to tell them, look, you're just gonna have to suffer and play on the seventh or whatever. But that that could happen, and it would make everybody that makes money. It wouldn't make us happy. We we we, we would want to make fun of them. But the people who make money for the college football playoff, schools like Ohio State, it would make them happy to know they have just a little bit more room to work with. I won't be totally surprised if an announcement like that comes. Me either. 2021. Uh, National championship game in Miami? Last year you had Peach. Oh, sorry. I'm, I thought I had it, and now I don't. Okay, this year, you're, you're correct. The Rose and the Sugar are the uh, the playoff games, and the national championship is the Orange. is in Miami. Yeah. On January the 11th. So you push. I mean, I don't know what day of the, the week January 1st is. I'm going to assume it's not a Saturday. And then you just sort of go from there. Think January first is a Thursday this year. I think. Yeah. So play on January the ninth, and then move the national championship game to the sixteenth. And all you have to hope is that the Dolphins aren't hosting a playoff game. I feel like you can get there. It's a Friday, not a Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way. National championship game sites for the upcoming years: Miami this year, Indianapolis next year at Lucas Oil Stadium. 2023, it'll be in the new stadium, uh, SoFi, in Los Angeles. And then in 2024, it'll be in Houston at NRG Stadium. So those are the ones that have been announced so far uh, moving forward. Vegas 2025, let's do it. You feeling it? Why not? Sports Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.